Hello and welcome to Plotress. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Devil in Disguise by Lisa Kleypas. This is the seventh book in the Ravenel series that was just published. And full disclaimer, we did receive a free copy from NetGalley. So, yes, we got this free copy probably about three months ago. I have read all the Ravenels, and I immediately dropped what I was reading <laughs> to read this one. <laughs> and Lane had to read all the other Ravenels books before she could get to this one. We have, a, a, I think we probably have a lot to talk about in this book, so. For sure. And just to put it out there, the big controversy obviously is who is this hero why is it devil? What's the relation to Sebastian? What's the relation to the Ravenels? Um, and we'll do our best to keep kind of the answers to all of those questions behind the spoiler tags, except I don't know why this is a Ravenels book. Me neither. <laughs> I don't know. All right, book jacket. The devil never tries to make people do the wrong things by scaring them. He does it by tempting them. Lady Merritt Sterling, a strong-willed young widow who's running her late husband's shipping company, knows London society is dying to catch her in a scandal. So far, she's been too smart to provide them with one. But then she meets Keir McRae, a tough and rugged Scottish whiskey distiller, and all her sensible plans vanish like smoke. They couldn't be more different, but their attraction is powerful, raw, and irresistible. From the moment Keir McRae arrives in London, he has two goals. One, don't fall in love with the dazzling Lady Merritt Sterling. Two, avoid being killed. So far, neither of those is going well. Keir doesn't know why someone wants him dead until fate reveals the secret of his mysterious past. His world is thrown into upheaval, and the only one he trusts is Merritt. Their passion blazes with an intensity Merritt has never known before, making her long for the one thing she can't have from Keir McRae. Forever. As danger draws closer, she'll do whatever it takes to save the man she loves, even knowing he might be... The devil in disguise. <laughs> this is a hot garbage jacket. It's really bad. I do think it's so bad because they're trying to hide the relationship that of Kier's mysterious past. Okay, but even knowing he might be the devil in disguise implies that she has some suspicion about his motive or who he really is. She doesn't. Like, mm -hmm. there's no nefarious implications as to what his background might be. No. No. We we all know what the implications to Devil in Disguise are. If you have read any of the past 10 books by Lisa Kleifus, you know what this is implying. Also, he arrives in London with two goals. No, he arrives in London with one goal. Sell his fucking whiskey. Sell his whiskey. Well, two goals, me sell his whiskey and go home. <laughs> and go home. So, one, upon meeting her, sure, he's like, I don't want to fall in love with her. But it's pretty far into the book before he realizes someone's got designs on his life or believes it's more than just a random attack. So, like, mm -hmm. 
this really doesn't present his character accurately. Like, part of what I really liked this book is he's kind of boring. He's totally boring. And, and I, I loved, loved it. it. I loved it so much. Oh, my God. Me, too. I So, guys, I, again, I read this book three three months ago. I love. I absolutely loved it. Absolutely love this book. And I've been, like, really nervous for three months that Lane isn't going to love it. I liked it. Okay. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I liked it. All right. Let's let's talk about what we liked or loved about this book. But before we can get there, we have to read our random number summaries. So we do generate a random number and then write summaries based on that number. And for this episode, the number was seven. I don't know. You wanna you wanna kick us off, Lane? I'll go first. What makes a Scotsman? Whiskey? Brogue? Sex. <laughs> That's like a really good summary, Lane. I thank you. Really liked it. All right, here's mine. So sexy he can't shave. Yes, please. That was one of my favorite moments in this book. I loved it so much. I died. I was glad. I was. The, Lisa Kleypas is not a comic writer, and I laughed a lot when I read this book. Maybe her funniest book. Yeah, I, I think that's an accurate assessment. Loved it. Um, I, I also enjoyed your summary because it was only about that moment and that yet somehow captured the spirit of the book better than this bullshit jacket. Oh, yes. I, look, if you had just read it, like, if there had been a jacket that was, have you ever met a man who's so sexy that when he shaves his beard off, women can't leave him alone? This is a book about that man. You would read it. Several times. You would read it. Yep. I did write a Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit workout for the, spoiler, Scott. And his workout is basically just whiskey barrels. They can be empty. They can be full. He's got to move them around. He's got to roll them around. He's got to pick them up, put them on boats, all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so he was raised as the only child of an elderly couple who owned a whiskey distillery scotch distillery that's several generations old and so he's his dad i guess had a real nose and palate for the scotch itself but no business sense so he's really had to do a lot of it himself mm -hmm. physically and you guys like alcohol barrels are heavy and distillers are big and hot and sweaty And it worked for him. Yeah. But there is also a bonus Gentleman Jackson. Mm -hmm. There's a bonus Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit Workout for, again, spoiler, but for the aging Duke. What was that one, Lane? Um, swim. Start every day with a swim. And when you're a Duke, you can have your own indoor swimming pool. So that's like semi heated. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would kind of love to have this. It would be bigger than like my entire house. But, you know, if I did have a ducal estate, I would totally have an, a, what is it, a natatorium in it. Yeah. I'd have everything in it. <laughs> it's so true. Of course, there's a pool in it. If there was limitless money, time, effort, power, Maybe like want to put a bowling ball, like alley in it? Sure. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. There's a bowling do alley I, book. Do I bowl? No. Do I care? No. This house is so fucking big. I'm never going to see all of it anyway. Might as well entertain people. Yeah. Have your friends over and be like, I think there's a bowling alley here somewhere. Go have fun. All right. Tropes. Basically, this is insta, insta lust. They, both of them, Merit sees Kira, Kira sees Merit, and they both are instantly, like, instant erection on his part, and she just, like, wants to jump his bones immediately. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't always love, but I also don't always hate, and I didn't hate it here. I think it worked here for a couple of reasons. She's a widow. Mm-hmm. And so, but she's not a widow from a loveless marriage. She's not a widow who never had an orgasm. She's not a virgin widow. And she's really thrown her entire life post her husband's tragic demise into missing Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And trying to keep the business running, learn everything she can. And so she really just hasn't had time to think about even what she wants now that she's a widow, like she started thinking about turning the company over to her brother, but even everybody who knows about that is speculating that, like, what is her plan even when she does that? And so I kind of loved the idea of this woman who has been all business for so long having like such a jolt back to, oh, I like men. Yep. And I mean, she sees this guy after he's been drenched by his own whiskey. So, like, a whiskey barrel broke. And he fell in all the whiskey. Or I guess the whiskey fell on him. I don't know. He's covered in whiskey. So it's basically like, what t-shirt contest for the hottest guy ever? Yeah. So I loved it. Yeah. All right. I mean, I don't know. Is there anything else to say about it? It's, it, it is, if you really want like a slow burn romance, this is not for you. No. And I think to me, the trope that most perfectly encapsulates that is she pretty early invites him to dinner mm-hmm. and they kind of have a fight about if he'll even come. And it sort of ends up with that. We both know it's not just dinner. <laughs> like, yes. She very quickly takes the bull by the horns and I enjoyed it. Uh huh. She's like, I want you to come over to your dinner. Wink, wink. You think I haven't had good whiskey? Bring some to my house. <laughs> I'd love to try your whiskey here. The whole thing. It's just, but I think that's also some of what makes it funny. Like, it's not like there was a ton of innuendo, but I felt like there was more than there usually is in a clay Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, when, so- they, when they both fail at it's not just dinner, then you get into the, okay, it's just this once. It's just one night. Just one night. It's not. It's not. Um, so as we mentioned, Kier was raised by an elderly couple who adopted him. So he's an orphan, but not a sad, tragic one. Like, he was given up as a baby, super well taken care of, knew he was adopted most of his life, but he does have, like, a token that his birth mother, mother left him that is incredibly identifiable. Yep. <laughs> Which is better than a birthmark. Or a burn on a baby yes also better than that so this book 
also has an amnesia trope in it that when I first read it, I was like, what the heck am I reading? But then I was like, I'm just going to lean into this. And I'm not going to say it was like good writing, but it was fun as hell to read. This actually, I kind of would argue the main trope of this ends up being her comfort. Mm -hmm. Because he gets injured early in the book and she has to help clean him up. And then he gets further injured when the amnesia happens. So the majority of this book ends up being about her as his caregiver, but in two very different ways. Yeah. In terms of what he knows and where their relationship stands. Good point. Very good point. I like that. Okay. I mean, uh, at this point, it's a trope. She's infertile. She can't have kids. So when they do hook up, she's like, don't worry. I can't get pregnant. We're going to talk about that a lot after the spoiler tag. Yes, we are. But it is in there. If you have issues with reading books about infertility, you may want to skip this one. Um, And then the last trope I want to identify is that for all that his parentage is a mystery, the family resemblance must be so strong that DNA testing is irrelevant. Again, it's so dumb. And I loved it so much. (laughs) I also loved that the aforementioned beard is like the only reason everyone wasn't immediately like, holy fuck, I know who your parents are. I loved it. Oh my gosh. It was, it killed me. I thought it was so funny. I loved it. I loved everything about his beard. Everything, everything. Even the fact that, so he does eventually get shaved off. And then the fact that he won't grow up back, like the reason why he won't grow up back, everything about the beard was so funny. I actually would argue, I think I liked everything about their relationship. I did. I did. I loved it. So when I say I didn't love everything about this book, it had nothing to do with the two of them. And I'd actually say the first half of this book, when it's really just the two of them getting to know each other, I fucking loved. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's get into it. What did you love about them? I liked them both independently as characters. Like, I liked that he was boring, that he was a commoner Claypus hero. Mm-hmm. He was of. not a... He was not a super billionaire Claypus hero who's going to go out and... Now he's bored with life because he has everything that he could ever want and he just needs to find a wife. And he wasn't raised wealthier within the peerage he was raised on like a remote scottish isle that has like 20 people on it and he's really happy with his life yeah so obviously we will talk more after the spoiler tags there are a lot of tropes we didn't put in because they are spoilers but he is not in any way privileged nope for his class and society at the time Mm -hmm. and i loved her i loved that She was the kind of woman who, when her husband died, was like, okay, I'm going to be really good at this and I'm going to take it over. But I love that it wasn't her dream. Mm -hmm. I love that she wasn't especially competent at it. Like, I love that she was 
doing something scandalous by running the damn thing herself, but more out of a sense of obligation to be steward of her husband's affairs and was looking for a way to responsibly disentangle herself from it, that she didn't take it on as her life's calling, that she didn't make it her identity. Like she was competent and capable and good at what she did. And it was okay that she wasn't defined by it or that she didn't want to keep doing it. Yes. I also loved that so in the very beginning of the book her brother is like oh oh there's an irate client here I really want you to meet with them and she's like why why do you think I should meet with him like you're the manager now you deal with it and he's like because you can handle difficult people I I loved that like that was her superpower basically yeah that she's she is she's a very managing if you want managing is, I think the historical word for it. Bossy is a word for it that we would use today. But I mean, really what she is, is she knows what she wants uh, and she knows how to handle people. Yeah. And I, I mean, I thought she was really well written in that way. To a degree, I would never call Clapis particularly feminist as a romance mm-hmm. author. Agreed. But I do feel like the fact that Merritt competence wasn't really questioned by those around her the implication ended up being that like because her parents didn't suck and she got an equal education it's not exceptional that she was able to step into this even though it's not her reason for being yeah it was just sort of passive feminism of like well treat women like they are capable of doing things and then they do it yes yep She didn't fight for it. She didn't have to, like, she's not scheming to get her father's company back. It was just, like, her competence was the given. And this leads to she knows what she wants. She sees Kier. They have some conversations. She's like, I'm very attracted to this guy. I'm inviting him to my house. And then he's going to stay the night. I love, too, that it was equal parts. She felt like he needed care and how turned on she was by him. Mm-hmm. She was saying, like, before she'd even seen him, she'd been pushing the hus- her husband to invite him over for dinner so he wouldn't be alone in England. So it was equal parts. Like, she would have invited him over even if she'd still been a married woman not for sex. Yeah. Because she sees lonely things and wants to help them. Yes. But yes. then she sees him and she's like, I'm going to invite him over and in my brain I can pretend this is something I would have done anyway, but then we'll both be naked. Mm-hmm. And she's not in denial with herself about that. No, she's not in denial, but she's definitely like, great. I wasn't going to invite him over anyway. And now I have an even better reason to. Yep. I loved it. And like I said, I just laughed a lot with this book. Yeah. Which I, I never, I never say with a Clapis, I laughed so much. I love reading Lisa Kleypas. I love her books. They're really fun and enjoyable, but they're not funny. Right. But this book was funny. And it wasn't like the characters, it wasn't the characters were particularly witty or the dialogue was specifically a good repartee. It's just the situational comedy really worked for me here. Yes. Neither of them was like particularly hilarious. There, she has other characters who have better, like, bon mots, you know, like um, Leo Hathaway. Yes. You know, he says he says things that are very witty and that I enjoyed, but I didn't laugh out loud. Yeah. Okay, so 
I'm just trying to think of what we need to keep behind spoiler text. So this book, the wallflowers are super present because Lillian is Westcliff's child. Yes. Um, and her best friend is one of formerly known as St. Vincent and Evie's kids. Yes. And so obviously she's calling her friends for emotional support through the whole thing. So like it is a mini wallflower reunion book. I didn't like the way that was handled. Especially yeah. the interactions between formerly known as St. Vincent and Lillian. Yeah. It's interesting because I have definitely complained about this in other books mm-hmm. a lot. I I feel like if it's just put in there as fan service, I'm not into it. And that's what I thought the Sebastian and Lillian conversations were. Uh, it was the, like, for all the people who bitched about the way he treated her and how she treated him, for them 30 years later to finally talk about it using metaphor. Because they made it seem like they, they one, never really talked about the past. And two, Lisa Klepis didn't want to be like, that time I abducted you and threatened to rape you. Yeah. I was like, you did not need to put the reminder about the worst fucking thing about Devil in Winter in this book. Yeah, I, I, it was not my favorite part of this book. I did not hate it. I think because I did feel like there was at least a legitimate reason for this to be happening. This didn't happen because we really want, we really want to have a lot of Sebastian in this book. So Sebastian goes on a farm tour with Phoebe, a la devil daughter, you know? I, it didn't feel wedged in there. I have less issues than Lane. Not uh, anyway. I just don't have as many issues as Lane does with the Sebast with Sebastian. And so I, I honestly think that if you have issues with Sebastian, you won't like this book because Sebastian is in it. If you don't have issues with Sebastian, you will probably enjoy it because his appearance here actually makes sense for the book for once. Yeah. I, I will say the, the wallflowers presence felt less shoehorned in. That's exactly what I mean. That's exactly what I mean. There are actually lots of other characters that appear. Our favorites, Garrett and Ethan both appear in this book. Notice I'm not complaining about that. I loved it. I I was so happy. I was like, all the characters I care about and none of the ones I don't. Gabriel and Pandora did not appear in this book and I was so happy. Yes. Okay. So there's that small joy. The only other thing I didn't like, I didn't like the ending. Like the, which part of the ending? The epilogue? No, the ending. Like the stuff that happened in Scotland. I didn't love it, but... Since it, since what we love, since what we complain about all the time is the fact that our characters aren't on the same side to solve the conflict, and then they were, I was like, eh, I can give it a pass. It was just a letdown to a book that I thought was going doing so well with it the two a, of them. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit like, meh. Like, it, it, to use a metaphor, this was like a Western if the gunfight you were expecting didn't happen. That's true. Oh my god, you're so right. It's a check of it's a Chekhov's gun issue. It doesn't go off. Yes. Like literally. It it was very it ended up being a little boring and not in a good way. Like I like boring when it's the main characters 
are just working through emotional stuff and they're not put in precarious situations. It was slightly like, anticlimactic. I agree. Anticlimactic, but it was also treated like this is going to be a serious, deadly situation. And then the actual final conflict ended up sort of being a slapstick comedy. With Ski Burrell's baby. It was just, it was totally very weird. Like, yeah. I just didn't think the underlying conflict of the book had the right tone through the whole end. Okay, let's talk about some content warnings. There is a lot of discussion of illegitimacy and adoption and infertility. Yep. And I think for the content warning parts, we leave it there. Yes. And we'll delve more into it after the spoiler. Yeah, but if you're someone who suffers with infertility, who's considered adoption, who had to give a child up for adoption, this would be very, could be very triggering. Yeah. Was this book hot or not? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This book is so fucking sexy. The first scene when, like, they both give in, more him giving in than her, really worked for me oh my god okay so guys they get one night they're like this is it this is the one night and they're like we're gonna take advantage of this one night and you might think a lot of books will do the first sex then fade to black and then the next morning she'll be like i came six times and it's like it wasn't a fade to black sex scene because you saw the first orgasm This is more explicit than that. Yeah. You basically spend the night with them. And they don't really sleep. Nope. They sure don't. (laughs) It's, it's, I mean, it's sexy and it's sexy for Clapis, who's already, she's always sexy. But I was, I, I was like you, Lane. I, at the end, I was like, okay, nice. And I'm like, wait, no. He's, he's, he's keeping on going. This also has a very specific me thing that I'm not sure everyone is into. But he had been injured on his way to her house. Mm-hmm. So he's a little bit wounded mm-hmm. during this interaction in a way that specifically worked for me. Mm-hmm. And that's not the end of the sex. No, it's no, it is not. Um, nope, it's not the end. <laughs> so, I feel really good for both of them about the life decisions they made. I yeah. oh, we do have trope we forgot, Meg. Fake relationship. Oh yeah, fake relationship. Yes, fake relationship. Because guys, remember he's got amnesia. She's got to go with him, so she says she's his fiance. Yeah, this is not a trope. This is also not sexy, but it has to do with sex. So I'm just going to mention it. Lillian does walk in on them while they are making love. And I could have hated it because, yes, it was quite a interruptus. That said, I thought it was hilarious. I actually thought it was so funny. I thought it was a fun callback to the Hathaways. Yes. Even though there's no Hathaways in this book. Also, no Ravenels in this book. Um, there, is, there was one Ravenel in this book, and her name was Lady Phoebe Ware Ravenel. <laughs> Although I was like, wait, 
That's actually, actually, I was actually very surprised because I was like, wait a minute, Clavis is usually really good about the courtesy titles and the titles. And it was still Phoebe Lady Claire. But whatever. Phoebe's there. Her last name is Ravenel. There was one Ravenel in this book. My marriage. So. Oh, I guess technically the six-month-old baby she had with her was a Ravenel by blood. Ethan is also a Ravenel by blood. Good point. Okay. Still don't know why this was a Ravenel book. So, <laughs> no, sexy as hell. And I thought that Coitus Interruptus was so funny. Also gets bonus points for not being the last mention of them having sex. Also, it, it was not, it, they had already, like, just had sex. And then she walked in on them with, like, second round. So right. that's also why it worked, I think. We're very specific. All righty. From here on out, guys, spoilers abound. And given Clefus and formerly known as St. Vincent's popularity, we're about to spoil things people really care about. So this has been me talking long enough that if you weren't sitting near your phone to hit the pause button, you should have had sufficient time to save yourself. Yes. But in other words, if you are not interested in knowing what that title means, log off now. And if you're not interested in hearing um, everything about the epilogue, because we're going to oh, rip it. Rip it. Yes. Okay. All right, so first of all, who is Kier McRae? Well, Elaine, he happens to be St. Vincent's. Formerly known as St. Vincent, Sebastian's illegitimate child. So Sebastian, as he mentioned to Evie in their book, Devil as, in Winter. As he mentioned to everyone in any book he's ever been in. But while he was indiscriminate, he tried not to have sex with people who would be ruined by pregnancy, even as he took every precaution to prevent pregnancy. Turns out there was some widow, he knocked, not widow, some married woman he knocked up and her husband figured it out and made her give the baby away because it would have been their only child and he didn't want someone else's bastard inheriting his estate. But of mm -hmm. course, she was a woman of means. He didn't do that wrong by her in that she was married and could have had a legitimate child. It wouldn't have been the scandal of the century. So she was also able to find the baby a good home. So for all that Sebastian fucked up and knows he fucked up, he doesn't have to like feel guilty about the life his illegitimate child had. So it's like honestly, the perfect combination of like, he's not that bad. Honestly, I, I was like, this is the reason Kier had such an idyllic childhood is so that we couldn't, we wouldn't be upset with Sebastian. <laughs> it was so funny. I was like, his life could not have been more perfect. He's, he didn't he have is, any angst about being adopted. He was, didn't, wasn't on a quest for his birth parents. He is the, the Clapus hero, the most well-adjusted, most boring Clapus hero. And even she was like, aren't you mad at your birth mom? And he's like, I'm mad at the life that she must have had that she had to give me up. And it was like, oh what god. fucking feminist are you? He was, I was like, oh my god, I love you, Kier. Like, maybe this is why I loved him so much, too. Because, I mean, oh my he god. He was a cinnamon roll. He was so, a sexy, burly cinnamon roll. Like, the only one Lisa Kleypas has ever written. Yeah. Like, I'm not kidding you. Like. It was if so he good. had been a virgin hero, I wouldn't have been surprised. 
He wasn't. But he also wasn't. He couldn't. He it. couldn't sleep around in his town because he had a small town, and all the lassies would talk. <laughs> I loved him. I loved him. I loved him. Oh my god, he's. I love Ethan. I don't think Kier can replace him as my favorite hero, but Kier may be at the same level as Ethan. They're very different, and very no different. one will ever be better than a spy to me. Right. They're very different, but he has, Kier has now surpassed her Ross Tannen as my favorite good guy, Cinnamon Roll, Lisa Claypus hero. Yeah, he's, I love him. So, um, now that that's out of the way, and we can kind of laugh about it, just for the record, I didn't hate it that he was mm-hmm. Sebastian's illegitimate kid. And maybe that's because I don't like Sebastian. <laughs> I, so I, I enjoy Sebastian's book. I like reading about Sebastian. I thought it was totally plausible that Sebastian had an illegitimate son. Was I surprised? No. Was I upset? No. Like, did I find the murder plot believable? No. Also, no, but I also didn't care that much. I thought it was funny. I thought it was, I thought it was over the top fun. But I also have to laugh because, like, obviously one of the problems if he found Kier, even if he'd been happy, is Kier would have been sort of wrongly denied his place as St. Vincent's heir. Yeah. And so in order to decomplicate that situation, of course Kier is the heir to his dead mother's husband's estates now, so he himself oh. will be a peer. It was so tied up with a bow to make sure there was no, like, disadvantage to Kira's situation, and I, I, yeah, I, I that was, was part of irony. It was irony. Absolutely, I was like, oh, I was not into it because because I was so enjoying like a middle class bourgeois hero who you know I work hard, I play hard, I'm a center only a nice guy. I was like, yeah, this is great. He's not super rich. He's not a total asshole. He's not whatever. No, he has to be the heir to a viscountcy. Super rich because his mom left him money. And it, but it also, like, yeah, he won't be a duke. But how much did he really lose out by not being raised by Sebastian? That I, I'm going to be honest. I loved this book, and I did not love that part. So let's talk about the worst part of this book. Okay. Okay. The worst part about this book. The worst part is has to do with merits and fertility so unlike a lot of women who just because they didn't get pregnant assume it's them not their husbands and then walk through life thinking they're infertile she went to a specialist and was evaluated and told she had some sort of uterine issue that prevented pregnancy so she has been medically diagnosed as infertile not just naively believes it yeah Guess how fast Kier gets her pregnant. Well, no, it doesn't even like it's worse than that, because if it had just been like a throwaway thing and then she gets pregnant later, I would have been like, okay, stupid. I hate this because I hate it in any book where that happens. But I'd be like, whatever. No, she's like really hung up on it. Um. She's really upset because she sees how good Kira is with kids. Like, she knows Kira wants kids. 
And she's like, here, like, I, I don't want to shackle. She has to tell him twice. She tells him twice. Right. Because he has amnesia. And she's like, I don't want to, I don't want to burden you with me because, you know, you're going to miss out. And he uh, obviously like the best, oh my God, he's such a wonderful guy, isn't he? Yes. He's like, you're, if you are, if you think that I have to have a child of my body, <laughs> right, then you're talking to the wrong person because I was adopted. I had a wonderful you know, childhood. I know that adoptive parents can be great parents. Like we will adopt kids. However many you want, however many I want, we can have them. And it's, I was like, oh, wow, this is really great. And not only that, Lane, I was a little annoyed that Kier was inheriting this in state, right? Because he wasn't related to any of them in the family, which I don't really care about. But I was like, oh, man, he's like cutting someone in that family out. And I was like, wow, if they don't have kids, then it's going to go to the cousin or whatever. And I was like, this actually wraps it all up. But no. Well, the other thing that I fucking hated, she's on a boat by herself, seasick. Of course, someone immediately identifies her as pregnant. And instead of it being treated like the fucking insults and overbearing, meddling, like prying comment that something like that would be to a woman... Especially she a woman who knows is she can have children. Yes. And instead it was so obviously telegraphing, like, they're right, she's pregnant, even yeah. though they're not saying that. And she wasn't offended. She wasn't upset. She didn't care. I'm like, no, 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 no. She should have been much have more upset. This character has been something she is devastated. She can't have a child of her body, even if her husband doesn't give a shit. Not her husband at the time, mind you. Um, so the fact that this person has just like put salt in the wound while she's apart from that person is treated like no big deal just so Clapis can shoehorn in this foreshadowing and for the record they had sex one time before she got she got pregnant that first night of tantric whatever well I mean maybe we don't actually know because they had sex like a million other times after that too yeah but she would have been like four days pregnant on the boat this whole okay even if they had sex the first night she still would have been maybe four weeks pregnant Four weeks is more than four days, though. I'm just saying. Pretty sure it was one night of tantric whatever. Fucking hated it. I hated everything about it. I hated it. I hated it. And then the epilogue itself with that was worse. Formerly known as St. Vincent and the Earl of Marsden cheersing to their grandparenthood. Oh, my fucking God. Made me want to puke. I hated it. I hated it. I loved this book, guys. I gave it five stars. I hated the epilogue. I hated it. So much. I was like, I'm never reading this epilogue again, and I'm not all the foreshadowing on the boat. I'm like, whatever. That didn't actually happen. I pretty much loved everything until he gets the amnesia. Okay. And then I liked most of what happens until Ethan shows up with the answer. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then from that point forward, I was out. Yeah. So it's I, hard for me to be like, I really love this book. It's probably a four star for me because I care more about the main couple more than anything else. But honestly, it loses a, it would have lost a full star for the infertility bullshit alone. That, in a messy, a messy plot and not giving a shit about the wallflowers. And I do not feel bad about being like, this is a four star read, not a five star. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, I said five stars. It's really four and a half stars. Like, it is four and a half stars. <laughs> That's how much I rated this book. Because I was like, I can't, I can't not give it, like, like, I round out. So four and a half goes to five, but I say it's four and a half. So you all know that it's actually four and a half. This couple was great. I have no complaints about Merritt and Kier at all. I think where the side stuff went wrong went so wrong, it has to be accounted for. Yeah. Yeah. It's fair. I mean, I do not disagree because I... I don't care at all that Kira is Sebastian's son. What I care about is that is the whole infertility thing. That That is what got me. It's offensive. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, okay, I want to end on like a nice note because I did really like this book a lot. I want to, I just want to say that I thought the wallflowers themselves, so Evie and Lillian, were really fun in this book. Especially Lillian, actually, who's one of, she's not one of my favorite Claypus characters. In fact, I have 100% said that I don't think Marcus should have ended up with her. <laughs> if you want to listen to our episode, you can. That's what I say. I say, I say she's like boring and not worthy of Marcus. <laughs> but I actually really liked her in this book. I liked Merritt's memories of her. I liked how she 100% walks in on her daughter having sex with another man. Well, not another man, with a man. <laughs> I love that she walks in on her daughter having sex with a man. And she is so great about it. She doesn't tell anyone, like, what's going on. She, there's no gossip. There's nothing like that. I, uh... And then the conversations he has with Kier. Like, I thought Lillian was great. I liked Marcus and Lillian's parenting in this book. Oh, my God. I did, too. I did. I really did. And I was like, I still don't love their book. But now I like their mature coupledom. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'd love it if you would rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet at Goodreads slash Plot Trists, Instagram at Plot Trists, and really anywhere else at Plot Trists.